0: Let's open our Bibles to Jeremiah 6, Jeremiah 6 verses 13 through 16, a shorter passage this evening that is going to be accompanied by a little parable that I've uh, sort of come up with that the Lord has um, sort of impressed upon me during uh, a, a summer of lots of travel, and so these are the pilgrim lessons that I've learned in pilgrimage to various places. And uh, I'm going to offer a lot less um, preparatory words in teaching than I did last week. Almost a third of my sermon last week was preparation for hearing God's word. We're going to jump right into the text this evening of Jeremiah 6, starting at verse 13. For from the least... To the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain, says the Lord. And from the prophet to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just as I said, I'm going to begin with a parable, and I want to call it the parable of the two buildings. The parable of the two buildings. To illustrate this parable, we can see an image of two buildings in Canterbury, England. Pam and I had the amazing blessing of visiting Canterbury four years ago. We weren't able to go to this town this past summer, but we saw lots of similar vistas in our travels to England and Germany during my sabbatical. So you see here before you, very obviously, the Canterbury Cathedral on the right, a cathedral that has stood the test of time for more than a thousand years a place that has received countless pilgrims who have sought the Lord by journeying there to pray, to hear the word of God, to sing, to be in God's presence and the presence of fellow believers. And then in the foreground on the left is the Marlowe Theater, constructed a few blocks away in 1984. Okay. The Marlowe Theater was very controversially designed because it's within the city walls of Canterbury where nearly every other building is five, six, seven, eight hundred 800 years old and was designed as a modern building, kind of a flashy building, isn't it? When traveling around Europe, and it's true, I'm sure, of every European nation, you will see a mixture of architectural styles in your travels. This is true of the three European nations I've been, of England and Germany and Spain. And so this isn't to criticize Canterbury per se, but but to look at this thing that you often see when traveling in these places where there are old buildings that remain. I'm sure it's true in Asia and Uh, South America and Africa as well. So when you're traveling, you'll behold some of the most beautiful buildings in the world. Those are the ones that last. You'll walk through town centers or marketplaces that were built centuries ago and are still full of what is often called by travel writers, old world charm. And You'll walk along narrow, winding lanes where people have lived for four or five hundred years, passing their home or even their business down from generation to generation. Even in small country churches, there's a, a timeless aesthetic quality that that draws you in to some of these buildings that are are truly beautiful in the aesthetic sense. And so a building doesn't need to be a thousand-year-old grand cathedral, one of the largest in the world. It could just be a small country church, but there could be an aesthetic quality to it that, that is appealing to the eye that remains even still to this day. And when touring through these cities, there will also be moments where a historic structure like the Canterbury Cathedral is juxtaposed by a modern building, sometimes Uh, This is especially true in in Germany, or you could see here in Edinburgh, where a beautiful building is right next to a building that is soul-crushingly ugly. (laughs) And isn't that the case? This is where Tim is right now. Tim Fernandez is in Edinburgh, Scotland. So you have there the, the castle in Edinburgh, high, perched high on the mountaintop, the hilltop, Next to this building that I would presume was built in probably the 1960s or 1970s. And when you travel in Europe, you're going to see some of the ugliest buildings you could possibly imagine. This looks like a prison, doesn't it? Constructed in concrete, gray, lifeless, as I said, soul-crushingly ugly. Sometimes those modern buildings are thrown right into the middle of historic architecture, and they look all the worse because of that contrast, don't they? Although I've never been to Edinburgh, Scotland, I found this example of a historic building uh, juxtaposed by a, a modern building. And and it's almost like a, like a sin. <laughs> it's so ugly next to a, uh, a beautiful building like that. I mean, it's just like it's, it gnaws at you, doesn't it, to see this? Now, if a building is still considered beautiful 800 years after it built, it will probably be regarded as such in the future. But that doesn't always mean that the old, everything old is good. There were buildings built in Scotland and England and Spain and Germany in the 17th century that weren't so good, and they didn't last. <laughs> but the ones that are still regarded as, as beautiful Uh, after many centuries, likely will be regarded as such into the future as well. So what is the parable about? If this phenomenon of contrasting beautiful architecture with ugly modern buildings is true of aesthetics, then we should also see that it's true of theology and ethics as well. There could be a new idea, a trendy Ethical understanding or a trendy doctrine that that could seem so interesting, effective, and helpful today that over time will be revealed when it's juxtaposed to the ancient paths, the ancient truths of the scriptures as ugly, unhelpful, even soul-crushing in some way. There could be excitement and energy and having new things, new ideas, new ethical structures. This is especially true today of sexual ethics. And it can seem so so exciting to be a part of some kind of new movement, especially for young people in our culture today. I once heard it said that boredom is at the root of every heresy. Boredom in the old paths, in the old ways, is at the root of every false teaching. When a false teacher becomes bored by the Word of God, he'll concoct some new understanding. When a false teacher becomes bored, sinfully bored, by Jesus himself, he'll look for some other kind of Savior and propose that Savior to everyone. When a false teacher becomes bored by the work that God called us to do, the plain, simple work of sharing the gospel, of loving our neighbors, there will be a hunger for something novel, something different, some new method, new structure, new doctrine. And so new ideas about Scripture could be promoted thinking the Bible is more of wisdom literature and we're a little bit tired with that, those stories we've heard so many times before and, and so we need a new way of designing our lives. Again, think of that architecture example. We need a new design. We need a new structure. We need a new aesthetic. Jeremiah warned us against this writing. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. The well-worn paths, the ancient paths, The ones that have stood the test of time. And when you walk in it, you find rest for your souls. The ancient paths are trustworthy. Are trustworthy. If a road led to nowhere, if a road led somewhere dangerous, where the people who took it would die, it would fall out of use. But God's word, the ancient paths, have proven to be trustworthy in leading people into life. The ancient paths are trustworthy. The ancient paths are also beautiful. The new roads towards novel theology, novel ethics, are pushing people into a life of misery, a life of darkness, that in so many cases leads even to, to things like suicide and depression Suicide rates among men and women today skyrocketing as people walk in novel, new, unproven paths. The ancient paths of the Ten Commandments seem almost self-evident. But where each commandment is challenged, the result will be an individual life or even a whole society that is miserable, as miserable. Miserable. So the ancient paths are trustworthy. The ancient paths are beautiful instead of dark and miserable. The ancient paths also will last. If you know that the Lord, or if if the Lord should tarry for 300 more years, I think we can confidently say that the Canterbury Cathedral will still be considered a beautiful building 300 years from now. How much more confident then should we be that the Word of God will still be a beautiful way to live our lives and a beautiful uh, presentation of the doctrines of God. Three hundred years from now, how much more confident should we be in the Word of God than in the beauty of a cathedral remaining? We could be confident in the consideration that the beauty of that cathedral will remain. How much more confident should we be in God's Word? That's what Isaiah forty verses six through eight says. All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. So even these grand cathedrals will, will fade away eventually. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. So it's possible that I'm wrong about the Canterbury Cathedral being a beautiful building 300 years from now. It is impossible that we're wrong about the truth, beauty, and lasting power of the Word of God. That's the ancient path, the trustworthy path, the beautiful way to live. So how was this lost in Israel in Jeremiah's day? During Jeremiah's ministry, he said in verse 14, the Lord said through him, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, meaning the, the leaders, the um promoters of this false, new, novel way of living that's away from the ancient paths. These false teachers have healed the wound of my people lightly. They've not given a real solution, real healing. They're saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. This happens today, of course. Modern solutions might seem to solve a problem, but if they're off the path of God's word, they will not result in peace for anyone. A modern solution could seem like it, it has finally nailed down the problem of depression, the problem of psychology, the problem of isolation, the problem of... Um, sociopaths in our culture, the problem of drug addiction, of alcohol, of all of these issues. A, a new way of thinking could come along tomorrow that could seem like it nails down that problem so well. But if it's off of the path of God's word, it will not result in peace for anyone. They've healed the wound of my people lightly. What a what a phrase. The Lord inspired Jeremiah to use a medical analogy here. I used an architectural analogy earlier, but this is a medical analogy. God is saying here, the wound of my people is terminal. They have spiritual cancer. And the new ideas of the day propose the solution is a bandage. They're healing the wound of my people lightly. They're proposing that people look for a superficial kind of cure instead of the sole cure that they need. The great preacher of this in the last century was Martin Lloyd-Jones, who would so often talk about the need for a radical cure, not just to receive an adjustment or some tips on moral living or a community that'll surround you, which are all good things, but, but we need... To be born again for this cure. So, when it's clear that the solution isn't working for such false teachers, they double down, they pretend everything is fine, they say, Peace, peace, where there is no peace. The false teacher will be miserable, the flock under the false teacher's care will be insecure. And confusion will reign among such a community, but they they would continue doubling down and saying no that we do have peace, even though they know deep down in their heart of hearts it's not there. Some people who lived in South Africa in the nineteen fifties thought apartheid was a good idea. They would say peace, peace. There was no peace. They healed the wound of people lightly, thinking, well, if we just separate into different ethnicities and cultures, and if we stay apart, apartheid, if we stay apart, that will solve the problem of South African culture that South African cultures were facing. So meanwhile, all the white minority people with, with white skin were the ones who were allowed to rule conveniently, creating these doctrines and beliefs. And so they, they would say, Peace, peace, in this this place, there's no peace. They had forgotten the ancient paths, a simple rule love your neighbor as yourself. They had not remembered the ancient path to, to treat one another, simple things that we learn in kindergarten as you would like to be treated. In hindsight, Apartheid is far uglier than any building, isn't it? And so, where have people wandered off the ancient paths in our culture today? I think we can, I'll just quickly throw out two ways that we could wander off the ancient paths that our culture particularly is has left the path on. Firstly, is one that we all likely struggle with at times. That is the American encouragement towards individualism the ancient paths are meant to be traveled corporately with one another in community with each other side by side with brothers and sisters in Christ the ancient paths are meant to be traveled in a, in a church where we hear the gospel where we're we're fed uh, spiritually where we have community it's a path that's meant to be walked with Christ with other people but American culture so often tries to convince us, even Christians who go to church regularly, you don't need that community. You can do it on your own. So when you have a problem, when you have a sin, it's up to you to try to fix it. When you face something difficult, it's up to you to try to figure out what the solution would look like. I'm thinking particularly of the, of the sin of abortion in our culture. It is totally based on individualism. It doesn't say, there's a community of people who want to help you with that baby. It says, you can't handle this, so you've got to get rid of it. Again, you can see there where American individualism just dovetails so well with with so many other kinds of sins. There's a constant theme in the films that our culture produces, especially in children's films, to divorce yourself from community, divorce yourself from the past, from your parents' From the community that raised you, venture out into the world unknown, and it seems like fun. That building looks pretty good for a little while. That adventure seems like a good idea, maybe for a few years, but the result of individualism is misery. That people would find themselves living, we could say spiritually, in a very ugly building all alone. And so this would be the one that I think we could look for in ourselves so often. If you are confronted with a sin, with a temptation, even thinking about societal issues, instead of thinking the individual answer, think, what, what might God do in communities, in my community, to help me and to help other people? Second, we can consider the current popularity of liberal sexual ethics as walking away from the ancient paths and into disaster. These liberal sexual ethics are often given the abbreviation LGBTQ+, and I reject that uh, abbreviation. Um, I don't think Christians should think, actually, even in those ways of, all of those people are the same in some ways, and they're even all that unified, actually, in, in what they want. But, but we can just refer to it simply as the popular, the popular trend of liberal sexual ethics. That's actually the core uh, belief that holds the LGBTQ plus together is a rejection of the ancient paths. <laughs> A rejection of God's design for our bodies, of God's design for marriage, of God's design for sexuality, even of identity and our understanding of identity. That's the, the, At the core of that whole movement is an ethic that has departed from the Word of God. And the trend is so powerful today. Here's how powerful it is. A quantifiable way... Uh, of the incoming students at Columbia University this past year identify as LGBTQ+. 30% of the incoming students at Columbia University. 30%. Now, rather than looking down on judgment on those people, our hearts should break, thinking they're going down the wrong path identifying themselves in that way instead of in Christ. They're going down a path of destruction, of misery. Rather than looking down on those people, our our hearts should just say, oh no. That was the great teaching of Jonathan Edwards once said. The Pharisee looks at that situation and says, aha, gotcha. I'm better than you in some way. But the Christian who has the heart of Christ, looks at the situation and says, Oh, no. Turn. Listen. Trust Jesus. Read the Word. Go in the ancient paths. Return to what is the right way. You know, a loving marriage between a man and a woman is like that grand cathedral. And that cathedral will remain if the church walks in the old paths. And this new ideology that has resulted in record levels of depression, record levels of suicide, will eventually be seen as evil and miserable and dark, either in this life or in the life to come. It will be seen as such. Verse 15 of our text described the movement. Jeremiah six fifteen. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not even know how to blush. And again, this doesn't set us up in judgment over such people, but it is a fair analysis of the doubling down that continues to happen as people live miserably with liberal sexual ethics and are lost and don't know what to do, saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. All of this has been tried before, by the way. So Ecclesiastes 1 says there's nothing new under the sun. The communist revolutions in Russia and China sought to overthrow the family as the building block for society, replacing it in that case with the government. And the result in those nations of walking down those paths was absolute societal collapse. So, what's the solution then in our society? Well, it isn't that every boy finds a girl and every girl finds a boy. That's partly what led to this problem is the idolatry of family in American culture. The idolatry of romance in American culture, particularly through Hollywood in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Setting up romance as the ultimate and absolute human experience. That Idolatry is certainly not the solution for this issue that we face societally in our culture today The solution is that people would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And that they would believe the word of God that they would return to the ancient paths of course the path starts with Christ And along the way is lived in line with the word of God part of the solution for the particular matter of sexual ethics is that our marriages and our families are beautiful. That they are those grace-filled, welcoming communities. That every home and every Christian church is such a loving, beautiful, hospitable place that when people... Even if they're saying peace, peace, where there is no peace in their home, and they go into a place where there is real peace, they—if the Spirit is moving in their heart—will see it, know it, and want it for themselves. Our lives are, are meant to be like that: that illuminated cathedral that is beautiful, welcoming, uh, a place where uh, where people could be truly together. Some of those buildings in Europe, like that one in Scotland, <laughs> that thing was ugly the day it was finished. It's not just that 10, 15 years later, the trend faded away. That thing was ugly the day that they put the last nail in the wall. <laughs> and some movements are like that. And, and I hope that to Christians, there, it's just evident that modern liberal sexual ethics, which are against the nuclear family, against one-man-and-one-woman marriage, against the idea that a boy will always be a boy and a girl will always be a girl, that each of these things um, will be proven, <laughs> will be proven to be true. The ancient paths will remain. People in, in this movement that promotes a liberal sexual ethic are saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Peace. And we point them to a real and lasting peace through Christ. And that peace then will include also clear teaching on sexuality, of what the the ancient paths really are like. So we don't make that the whole gospel, but neither do we run away from what the Bible says concerning our lives. Marriage is for one man and one woman. A boy will always be a boy, a girl will always be a girl. Every person will face sexual temptation in this life And Jesus calls us to take up our cross daily and follow him. And so, as I think about my hope for the future of ethics in in this nation, I imagine, I I am hopeful. I think we need to be again this morning because we have a good shepherd who shepherds his church, who shepherds us. We can trust him. He's in authority over the heavens and over the earth, over our nation, over Ethical trends even as well. And so we can be hopeful about the future. And I imagine a little scenario happening where someone has been promised a world of happiness through sexual liberation. And that person recognizes it's all bankrupt. They've been sold a bill of goods. They're miserable. Promiscuous. They're hurting They're looking for help in the wrong places. I imagine that person walking into a church that's full of real life. Real life, real beauty. A church of people who are trustworthy and not exploitative. A church of people who are truly hospitable and loving no matter what someone thinks or what their past is a church of people who extend grace and don't just talk about grace, but but really live with grace towards people who are difficult to live with. And to use that parable of the two buildings again, these people have been living in gray, lifeless, purposeless tenement houses, and they enter into a cathedral full of light. That's my hope for Ammon Valley. That as we walk in the ancient paths, God will be proven faithful, His word will be proven true. And walking in the way of God will just be so evidently good that the neighbor who is hurting and sad and lost is by the Spirit's work attracted to it. What will that require of us? It will require that we walk in the ancient paths, that we stay the course, that we trust in Jesus, that we believe and preach God's word no matter its popularity or lack of popularity. As the world wears new paths in all kinds of different directions, the church walks in the ancient way. That is the right way. It's the way of God's Word. Amen? And let's pray.